What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Push the Tempo podcast. It's been a minute. Um, we just been really busy with real life stuff. So, but we're back now. That's all that matters. Uh, and with yesterday's Game Seven, Clippers and Mavericks, uh, the first round is officially over. So we figured we'd just run through uh, all the first round series and just give our opinions and our and just give our uh, thoughts on each of the series. So why don't we start with the Atlanta Hawks and New York Knicks? Uh, the Atlanta Hawks won the series in five games. Uh, in my opinion, it was one of the more interesting series, and it was one of the more fun series because of the the atmosphere, not only in Madison Square Garden, but also in, I believe, the State Farm Arena is what it's called. But it was a really fun series. So I'll just throw it over to you. What did you think about it? Honestly, it's one of those series that I regretted not watching the whole thing. And I know it was a four-to-one series, but honestly – Looking closer at the matchups and how intense it really got in both those arenas, it was definitely a high playoff intensity games, as you could tell. You know, the whole hating on Trey Young, the villain Trey Young, and then also Julius Randle leading his team. I don't know. I thought it was a pretty good series, and I just kind of wish I watched a little bit more of it. You know what I mean? And this was – it was a really good series, man. This was, in my opinion, the best series of the first round. Well, it, it was until, like, it started kind of getting away from the Knicks because uh, some of their – some of their flaws that were they were able to gloss over in the regular season started showing um, because in the regular season, they were a really, really good defensive team, but they weren't really good offensively. And um, as great as Julius Randle was in the regular season, uh, the shot diet that he lived on, uh, difficult twos, like long twos, off the dribble, turnaround, all that, like, unless you're like an absolutely elite player, like you're going to start, you're going to struggle with those kind of shots. And, he really did struggle. He shot only 29% from the field in the playoffs. Uh, really, really, he and Derrick Rose ended up being the best player on the Knicks in terms of like scoring and facilitating. And when Derrick Rose is your best player, like Derrick Rose had a great series, but when, he, when he's your best player, you're going to struggle. You know what I mean? Uh, he didn't, uh, Julius Randle didn't really get to the rim a lot. Uh, Clint Capella, I thought, played a really good series defensively. He really made it difficult for Randle to, when he got to the rim. So that's why he kept settling for those twos. And Trey Young made me eat my my words, man. Uh, he's really, really good. I always, I always like recognize how great of a passer he is. That's one of the things about his game that, even when I didn't enjoy watching him, it's something that I always found very impressive. But yeah, he's he's really good, man. And he had a really good series, not only scoring but also facilitating the ball. Um, I think he, him, and Kareem are the only two two players to ever score more than 30 points in their first four road games in a playoff series. So that's very impressive. And, and he really did his thing in this series. Yeah, 100%. And just kind of going off that, I learned two things from this series. One is Trey Young is amazing. He's not a lot of, you know, a lot of people are hating on him early in the season, you know, the whole Steve Nash thing, him trying to draw those fouls or whatever. I mean, yeah, that is what he does sometimes. And it's part of the game. But other than that, he has so much skill, and you can really tell, like, he, he's going to be a generational player. And I'm not saying he's going to be the best player ever, but you can really tell he's going to be, like, a top five, six, seven point guard for the rest of his career. And then the other thing I learned is the Knicks, although I had them winning the series and they lost, you're completely right. You know, I agree. Like, they were taking really difficult shots, and, you know, it really starts with Julius Randle. And I thought he could lead the team and overcome the Hawks, especially because, you know, the Hawks aren't that great defensively. But, you know, at the end of the day, one thing that I learned is, you know, the Knicks, 
honestly, they're one piece away from being a great team. Like one really good piece away. You know what I mean? Like Randall proved that he can't be a number one option in the series. You know what I mean? Right. I I had the Hawks winning in six uh, before the playoffs started. I just figured, like, if you look at the Hawks roster, it's it's silently like really really good. Or like they're they're rotating guys who are in the rotation. Like you obviously have Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich hit some big shots in this series, and he was really good as well. Uh, John Collins, he didn't have the greatest of series, but we know how good he is, uh, just like as a player. Clint Capella, like I said earlier, he made it very difficult for Julius Randle. DeAndre Hunter, before he got hurt during the season, I thought he was in the running for most improved player. Uh, he's like just a really, really good role player. He can defend, he can shoot, he can. Uh, this year, he started creating off the dribble a bit more. Uh, if they even get anything from Danilo Gallinari, that's considered a win. Like he stunk the first round. Uh, Lou Williams, I mean, what can you say? Off the bench, inefficient scorer. But if you can, if you can cover for him, good. Kevin Horder can kind of create off the dribble and play make a bit, but he's also a good shooter. Like they have some good players in their rotation, and the Knicks, as great as they are defensively, uh, there was some questionable coaching decisions I'd say by Tom Thibodeau. Uh, you didn't really play Emmanuel quickly enough, I'd say. Um, you should have played him a bit more, particularly when you were lacking the scoring punch. Uh, Alec Burks was really good in game one. He didn't really do much the rest of the series. And it just it just really just came down to the fact that the best players on the Knicks ended up being Derrick Rose and Julius Randle. And Julius Randle really, really struggled. And the best players on the Hawks, uh, Trey Young, and I'd say... I'd probably say Clint Capella or Bogdanovich was second. I lean Clint Capella because of the work he did defensively, but they were able to get theirs a lot easier, you know? So yeah, that, that's just my final opinions in that series. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah. You know, it was, it was one of those series that I feel like it could have been a lot better if they played more games, but came down to four, one series. You want to move on to the next one? Sure. Uh, I'll let you start with this one. What did what was your opinion on the uh, the five game series between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets? Man, I'm starting to lose faith in the Celtics. You know, last last the beginning of the season, I had them. You know, obviously as a Celtics fan, I had them. You know, getting far in the playoffs, and you know, right now, one thing that really stood out is how bad the Celtics are internally and how good the the Nets really are as a team. I mean, like if you look at the Nets in a whole, I mean, you got KD. Harden, Kyrie, you know, you always think about, yo, that trio is nice and all, but like, I got to see a lot of the supporting cast really play like Bruce Brown. He's a guy that is, you know, kind of very low key, but he had, he played really well. Like he was always getting in the paint, getting rebounds, defending, uh, getting in the middle, passing out or kicking it up or, and on top of that, they had Claxton who was low key. He was surprisingly good. Like he was a lob threat, you know, he was a very strong rebounder, defender. He got some nice block shots. And then, of course, we got Joe Harris, the reigning three-point champion. Did he win this year or last year? Last year, right? Yeah, last year. Yeah, last year. I mean, the dude did not miss a shot. And it was just, like, it was so painful just watching it because this entire series, it felt like the Celtics were behind. But, like, in still striking position. And then in the last quarter, the quarter they just get blown out. And that's what it felt like the whole series. It just felt like we were chasing greatness. There was no way to stop these guys, you know. If Kyrie got cold, he always had Katie and Harden. And it was just like basically the theme of the entire series. We really didn't stand a chance, especially because Kemba Walker is garbage. I mean, dude averaged 13 points in the playoff series. Like, how are you going to get paid that much to average 13 points? I mean, you let Marcus Smart, a guy that's not even known for his offense, score 
18, 19 points per game in this series, and you can't even score 13. But that's my rant on Kevin Walker. You know, I'm kind of getting off topic here, but it's just, it just, you could tell like there's a huge difference in uh, skill here. And on top of that, you got to remember that the Nets aren't even fully healthy. They didn't even play um, DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, maybe because of matchups. And then on top of that, Spencer Dinwiddie's still hurt. So, like, this Nets team is so good. Like, I really don't know what to say. And that's why I have them winning the championship, just kind of seeing the way that they're playing. And I know we're only talking about the first round, so I'm not going to be talking about what what's happening so far in the second round with Harding being hurt. But, you know, this Nets team just looks unstoppable to me. Right. Um, like you said, the Celtics just, in terms of not only because they just don't have the – top-tier talent that Brooklyn does. I mean, really no team in the league has three guys as good as in totality as the Nets do. But uh, it just showed that, like, even with Jalen Brown, I don't think the Celtics would have won more than one or two games. Um, I just want to get – what's your opinion on Evan Fournier this series? I thought I thought he was pretty solid. Uh, I think he's a guy that the Celtics should definitely bring back as, like, a guy who can stabilize the second unit if you need to pull all your – like scores from the starting lineup off the floor, he can still run some offense to get the second unit. I just figured I'd ask you what you think about him. Yeah, no, I honestly, I like Evan Fournier. In the beginning, he really struggled with the Celtics. And you can kind of see throughout the series, he, he really doesn't have that much of a fit on the Celtics yet. I think after a, one more regular season, he should fit a lot better. And like you mentioned, if he would be on that second unit, as opposed to the first, he would be definitely a lot better of a fit. Again, he averaged around... 13, 14 points per game, which is still better than Kebo, by the way. Um, he was shooting it quite well. One thing that I did notice is he was getting straight up abused by Harden. Like, like we have, we've all seen that clip of him getting crossed out by Kyrie and, you know, him falling down. But Harden abused him way more. Like, Harden was drawing fouls on him like crazy. And that's one thing that I noticed is, although he's a great offensive player, he does make a lot of reaching calls and bad foul calls. So that's one thing to be kind of wary about Evan Forney. But I would definitely like him back on the Celtics on the second unit. But, yeah, no, I definitely like him as a player. He, If it wasn't for him, honestly, I don't think that we would have won that one game because he did make some great threes. And, yeah, no, I definitely like him. Yeah, the Celtics got a lot of – they got a lot of question marks to answer or a lot of questions to answer, I should say. Um, really the only two players, I'd say, on the roster that are untouchable are Jason Tatum and – Jalen Brown uh if you get the right like right price or right trade offer for Jalen Brown I think you'd think about it but Jason Tatum the only player that I'd trade Jason Tatum for or the only two I'd say are like Giannis or like like in that age range I should say because obviously he's not LeBron or Kawhi or KD or Harden but in that age range the only two players I trade Jason Tatum for are like Giannis and Luca you know um but yeah, the Celtics, uh, they just recently, Danny Ainge recently stepped down and Brad Stevens took over as the president of basketball operations. And the first two names that were linked to the Celtics were like Lloyd Pierce and Jason Kidd. So that's not, that's not a great start, I'd say. But uh, we, got, we got to see what the Celtics do moving forward because they have a lot of questions to answer in yeah. the offseason. I got a lot to talk about on that, but we'll definitely see that for the future video or All another right. podcast. So by the way, guys, you know, follow our podcast you know we're gonna definitely do a video on that you feel but yeah you want to hop into the next one sure uh so the milwaukee bucks and the miami heat series uh this was the only sweep of the first round uh milwaukee 
the first game was really good and it was really close. Uh, Milwaukee ended up winning in a game that Miami, I believe they hit 23s and Milwaukee shot really bad from three in that game. Yeah, Miami hit 23s and Milwaukee hit uh, Milwaukee hit five. So they ended up pulling out that game. And after that, the series was not close at all. The rest of the games were blowouts. Um, my opinion on this series is that I don't want to say I saw this coming, but if you watch the Bucks at all this year, you would know that they're a lot better than they were last year. And if you watch the Miami Heat at all this year, you would know that they're not the same team they were last year. Like we talked about it before, that they were never were able to fill the the Jay Crowder spot. Um, they got Trevor Reese, and Trevor Reese is good, but he's not really the player that Jay Crowder is. He's a lot older now. Uh, their guard play just was not the same as it was last year. Tyler Hero took a massive step back. Goran Dragic was not the same player. Uh, Kendrick Nunn at points was like their only guard who was really giving them anything. Uh, Duncan Robinson, as good of a shooter as he is, he can be exploited defensively. And I just think the Bucks came in and they took care of business. The Bucks are really, really good. Uh, Giannis may not have had like the the dominant scoring series in this in the series, but he did everything else. He was great defensively. He was really, really good rebounding. And he just, he did his thing and Middleton and Holiday. I think the Bucks are for real this year. I think they can make a really deep run. What do you think about the series? So, yeah, like you mentioned before, it was uh, pretty much a sweep and Butler and pretty much no one else on the Heat really showed up, except a few with the Kendrick Nunn being here and there. But honestly, one thing that I noticed is the Heat are really designed to kind of stop Giannis, and they did hold him under his scoring average. But the thing that stood out this year that they didn't have last year is all the help Giannis has this year. So, of course, um, DiVincenzo got hurt. But other than that, you know, Drew Holiday was huge. He was a huge pickup this season for them. He was scoring where there was no scoring last year. On top of that, he's a great defender. And then we've always got... Middleton, who's been there, and Middleton can score, and he's probably the most clutch on the entire Bucks team. And then Brooke Lopez played well as well. So it was pretty much everyone uh, contributing this year as compared to last year. And one thing that I really noticed is, you know, Giannis isn't that guy in the fourth quarter or in clutch time. In that first game in overtime, this is the one that I really watched. Giannis had, I believe he had two points, two rebounds, and like two turnovers. That was pretty much it or not even those two points. I don't even think he did anything. He even had a free throw violation. So when it comes close to that, he really can't do too much, in my opinion, at the very least. But because he has guys like Drew Holiday and guys like Middleton that are scoring and playmaking and cutting and shooting and doing all those type of things, I think that the Bucks definitely have a good chance to have a deep playoff run. But yeah, that's one thing that really stood out to me is how ineffective Giannis can really be in a close game just because of the way he's built as a player. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. I'd say that just because he isn't scoring doesn't mean he isn't affecting the game in other ways. Uh, like I mentioned, he didn't really have like a dominant uh, series in terms of scoring, but defensively him taking the challenge, guarding Jimmy Butler and really making – like this was the worst playoff series of Jimmy Butler's career. Of, of him being like uh, like a star-level player, this is probably the worst Jimmy Butler's ever played in the playoff series. Uh, he got outscored by Bryn Forbes. I'm pretty sure everybody's seen that. Uh, Bryn Forbes that scored him um, and he did really well rebounding as well I thought I thought Giannis was really really good in this series uh, one thing that did stick out to me though is on Miami's side is that Bam out of bio like I like I just mentioned Jimmy wasn't that good but Bam outside of the last game I didn't really think he was that great on offense and there were plays where 
the person defending him, whether it be Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez, they would play off of him a little bit. They would give him space in the mid-range where he's improved his mid-range shot this year. That's something he added to his game. Um, but he just wouldn't look to shoot the ball as much. A lot of times he would be looking to do a handoff or find somebody else. So they kind of, in the Bucks game plan, they kind of use that against him where they they would make him either either him beat them or nobody because they would freeze out everybody else and say, hey, you can go ahead and shoot. And he just didn't really look to be aggressive enough, in my opinion. And that's something that I think he should definitely come into next season with is just a bit more aggression in his game. Uh, yeah. And I, I just don't think, I just don't think Miami is the same team. They're just, they're, they're not what they were last year, like far from it. They got, they got some, they got some question marks in this off season as well. Yeah. hundred percent, especially with the loss of Victor Oladipo. I mean, did they mess up? Probably. I, I really don't see too much, um, too much hype and too much emphasis going into their team next year. I mean, I love Butler. He's probably one of my favorite players, but <clears throat> like you mentioned before, there really isn't too much to look forward to. You know, hopefully they bounce back. You know, that bubble effect, yo, you feel me? Tyler Hero really ain't the same anymore, which is unfortunate because he took out my team last year. And then to see him only score about seven points per game in the playoff series, you know, it's, it's frustrating, especially probably as a Heat fan, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. Um I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say their bubble run was a fluke. Uh, it's definitely situational. They they matched up really well with the Bucks last year because, like you said, Drew Holiday is just such a massive upgrade over um, Eric Bledsoe. That Eric Bledsoe last year was not only was he not like a neutral player, he was a clear negative. Where Holiday is a clear positive on the court, and he had a really good series as well. He led the Bucks in assists. But yeah, they they got a lot of they got a lot of. Uh, voice to fill in the offseason. It remains with, to be seen what they do with Victor Oladipo. Um, I'd assume that he comes back, but I don't know if he's going to get the, the contract he was looking for. Um, but yeah, they, they got a lot of stuff to figure out. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you want to hop into the next team, the next series? Sure. Uh, so the next series then was the Washington Wizards uh, losing in five games to the Philadelphia 76ers, the one seed. Um this series, it was, it was one that I figured would not be that competitive, and lo and behold, the Wizards won one game. Uh, a lot of the series, for the most part, was not close. Uh, games one and four were close, and then the rest of them weren't really close to be. And game game four was interesting because the hack of Ben Simmons strategy was used, which ended up helping Washington pull away at the end. Um, this series started off with showing that one of Washington's biggest weaknesses was that they don't really have a guy to defend the wing players. Like, Rui Hachimura is good, but Tobias Harris was just – he was just killing him at the beginning of the series, and he started off really, really hot. He finished the series averaging 25. Um, and on the Wizards' side, Russell Westbrook, I think he had, like, one good game. Outside of that, he kind of struggled because uh, in the in the play-in game that he played versus Indiana, he was able to, like, push around DeMontis Sabonis. And you're not you're not doing that to Joel Embiid, you know what I mean? So I just want to get your thoughts, but this is a series that going in I didn't think would be that I didn't think would be very competitive and turned out that it wasn't really at all. Yeah, one hundred percent. I definitely thought this series and I put this in my prediction was gonna be a sweep. Unfortunately, I think because Joel Embiid got hurt in that last game, that that's one of the reasons why the Wizards were ended up winning that one game. 
But yeah, I definitely didn't think that this series was going to be anything too deep. And one thing that really stood out to me was, all right, first of all, Daniel Gafford is nice. He's nice with it. You know, I think he's definitely going to be a future prospect. Um, other than that, I didn't really see too much from the Wizards. Even Bradley Beal wasn't having a great series. Westbrook, as we mentioned, in terms of efficiency, had a horrible series. I believe he shot like around 30% or something like that. Um, yeah, he was doing his usual ball dominance where, you know, he's getting rebounds and assists and things like that. But, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it really wasn't too much, and it wasn't really impressive in terms of the Wizards. They were – one thing that was impressive is that they did make the playoffs, so I'll give them that. But other than that, I really don't see too much from the Wizards in terms of, you know, future potential. And this series in general really didn't show too much of the other guys. You know, Rui Hachimura hit one clutch shot, and other than that, I didn't really see too much potential from other guys outside of Daniel Gafford. But, yeah, honestly, you know – this series was only interesting because I like the tactic, as you mentioned before, uh, hack of Ben Simmons. And honestly, that's something that might happen in the future too, uh, especially because that's the one thing that happened. And I know we're only talking about the first series, but, you know, other teams are going to take notes. And the Hawks also did this in a very close game um, against the Sixers, right? So that's one thing that really popped up. But other than that, like you said before, it wasn't that too much of an interesting series. I definitely agree on the Daniel Gafford point. I think him, his addition to Washington, uh, it really, in, in some ways, it changed their season. Uh, he was really, really good for them during the regular season. Uh, he has some stuff to clean up defensively. But other than that, man, like he gives Washington a guy who can roll to the rim really hard. He's hyper athletic. And, and I don't want to say, but Russ, Russ has a, he has a connection usually like a really good chemistry with his big men, whether it be like he got Steven Adams paid a hundred million dollars. Uh, he made Ennis Cantor look really good and Cantor's solid, but you know what I mean? So uh, I, there's going to be, I've really look forward to seeing him and Russ, him and Russ keep playing together because they're, they're fun to watch, man. Daniel Gafford's a fun player to watch. Uh, one thing to look out for though, is it was announced that Joel Embiid uh, has like a partial tear in his, I believe his right meniscus. Um, that's some scary stuff. I really hope he can stay healthy. It just sucks that this guy has just continuously had to deal with injury issues throughout his entire career, and he's still playing on it. Um, I have no idea if that's the right decision to make, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. And I really hope that this is not something that, you know, really, really that, – that costs him down the road because as great as he's been this year, this year and as good of a chance as the Sixers have to win – which I don't think they'll win, but, you know, they probably think they do. Uh, you know, it's not really worth it if your best player, uh, the best player your franchise has right now is going to go down to an injury. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And um, I would definitely be careful of that because who knows? That That's definitely going to be a risky thing. And on top of that, I kind of want to see more from Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, especially with the Embiid. You know, it, it kind of sucks. Like, I know I'm jumping into the next series, but, you know, they, they kind of rushed and beat back into that game one. And it's, it's kind of concerning, especially because he's never played a full season before. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, we'll see, man. I just I just hope he can stay healthy. Uh, him playing on that knee is definitely something to continue to monitor, and I really hope it doesn't. But only – I mean, you can say that playing on it will only make it worse, but I just hope there's nothing, like, nothing too serious, and I hope he can stay relatively healthy. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, do you want to hop into the next series? Sure. So the next series then was the 3-6 matchup between the 
in the Western Conference between the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers. The Nuggets won in six games, which um, before the season, before the series, you could have told me that this series would have went either way, and I would have believed you. Um, I leaned towards the Nuggets more just because I thought that um, there really wasn't an answer for Jokic. Uh, Nurkic did a solid job, I'd say, but outside of him, like particularly when Nurkic went to the bench, like Portland's defense would just collapse. Um, and man, Dame had a great, great series. He was really, really good. He obviously, everybody knows about the 55 point game with, was it 12 threes or something that he made? Um, but Portland losing this series, I would still say is a little bit of a disappointment considering like the roster and uh, not the roster, but the injuries that the Nuggets have had to deal with. Like Austin Rivers was out of the league. He wasn't in the league at some point in this previous season and he was starting games he like he started in this entire series versus the Blazers and he played really well um so I'd say I'd say the series a little bit of a letdown uh for Portland what do you think 100% a letdown I mean I agree with you like you know they were really relying on Austin Rivers to hit big shots on top of that they had a rookie and I know he's he's a European player and uh Facundo uh, Campaso yo he nice with it but like I mean, that was probably the second or third best player in that series other than, I mean, MPJ has kind of had some up and down games as well. Aaron Gordon, we all know he's not like, we, we all know he's kind of overrated, let's be honest. But other than that, if you match up the two teams in terms of talent, um, let's just say that Damian Lillard and Jokic match up, maybe uh, Jokic a little bit more. You can easily see that the Blazers have a better team. And this is probably the best team that Damian Lillard has ever had. Yet, he still had another first-round exit, and this is his sixth first-round exit. But um, aside from that, you know, one thing that really stood out to me is just how inconsistent he was in that series. I mean, we all know that 55-point game. I mean, we talked about it. And then, of course, he had some great games, but he also had some bad games. You know, one of the games, he went one for 10. That's some, like, Russell Westbrook efficiency. I mean, yeah, he did have, like, 10 assists and all that, but one for 10 is not it's not a good thing. He really had to have C.J. Norman Powell cover for him. And then in the last game, we all know in the fourth quarter, he was like one for nine, I believe, or something like that. He had like yeah, I think one. It, I think it was like two of nine or one of eight or something. Yeah, it was something ridiculous that should not be coming out in an elimination game for a supposedly very clutch player. And I just think that like I don't think Lillard's a bad player at all. I just think that he has to become he has to, he he has to have a different type of um like like a different face. I don't know, I don't even know how to explain it properly, but like I just think that. He, he has to be a little bit more consistent if he wants to be as clutch as people say. You know what I mean? Like, one for nine in the fourth quarter and in an elimination game, I just don't think that's that's good. Yeah, he definitely struggled in that game, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that he's their biggest problem. I think I think it's clear at this point that the Nuggets need to make some change. Not the Nuggets, I'm sorry. The Blazers need to make some changes to their roster. Uh, I don't know. Like People have been saying it for a long time now that Damon CJ – they're, like there's a ceiling to your team when those are your two guys, you know? And I think one of the reasons that they brought in Norman Powell in the offseason is they're probably going to keep him and try to trade CJ. So, and Nor- Norman Powell's like 6'3", and they have him playing small forward, you know? Uh, he's a shooting guard right now. Like, I'd say, I'd say that's his natural position considering his height. So, and in that game, in that game where Dame had 55, uh, it went to double overtime. There were some questionable like why didn't you foul there by Utah, uh, Utah by um by Denver? I don't know why they didn't foul at the end of regulation and at the end of overtime. Uh, it didn't make much sense to me why they just let Dame continue to hit insane shots against them. Um, but 
like nobody else besides the cancer putback, nobody else but Dame scored in the uh, in the two overtimes. It was I think he scored. Um, I think I think it's like he scored like eighteen of their twenty points. The rest of the team combined to shoot like one for twelve or one for nineteen in those two periods. Like, what more can you ask of him at that point? You know what I mean? CJ was stepping out of bounds in overtime. I don't know how many dunks Robert Covington can possibly miss, but apparently it's all of them because he did nothing. Um, they they need to make some changes, and I think they will. We saw that they fired their coach, uh, Terry Stotts. Uh, he didn't really – like, after a, lot, after a lot of time, he just lost a lot of his offensive creativity. There wasn't a lot of plays that Portland run, like – you would think as great of a shooter as Dame is that they would involve him in like off ball actions to like just conserve his energy where he doesn't have to like, you know, create a shot every single time down the court, but you didn't really see that that often. And like, they, they just didn't have a lot going besides Damian Lillard creating like basically their whole offense. And when he was off the floor, they tanked Uh, when Nurkoch was off the floor, their defense tanked. So there, there's a lot of changes also coming, similar to Miami, and I don't know who else we were talking about earlier, but similar to those guys, like I think there's going to be some changes in Portland this offseason. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I know I was ragging on Dame Lillard, but I definitely don't think he was a problem either. I just think that he's not as talented as you know people make him out to seem, which obviously isn't his fault. I, I really just think that the Blazers isn't as good as everyone thinks that they are. Even though, like I said before, this is probably the best team that they've ever had. Um, I definitely do think that the Blazers should shake it up. You know what I mean? Like, and as we mentioned before, you know, Terry Stotts is, isn't like the greatest coach ever. He did lose some offensive creativity. You know, sometimes I'll be watching Blazers games and it just feels like CJ and uh, Dame take turns, you know, with the rock. And then they just do whatever they want to do. And that's what it really does feel like. So I definitely agree with you there. And just quick, sh- quick shout out. Monte Morris and Austin Rivers. Uh, Austin Rivers was huge. I believe it was like game four where he had like 18 points in the fourth quarter or something to close him out. Or it was one of the games that they won. I don't know if off the top of my head, but he played a really, really good game. Uh, shout out to him. Uh, shout out to Monte Morris, who as a backup point guard is one of the best backup point guards in the league, but he was just thrust into a starting role and averaged 15 points. I think he scored 25 points in that double, double overtime game. So he really, he really stepped up when they needed him to they played those guys man denver has a really good team and with the way the west the west playoffs have shaken out so far if they were if they were fully healthy like i think they're a team that could that has like a very strong case that they could make it out of the west this year but sadly they just they just been wrecked by injuries unfortunately yeah no it definitely sucks i mean two of their starters barton and jamal murray man it's definitely a tough blow but yeah i mean mvp okay you feel me you on that train or not? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course, man. Jokic was insane. There's really, there's really not much you can do to stop him. Like he's, he's probably him and Luca are the two toughest singular covers in in the West right now, in my opinion. They're just insane. Definitely, definitely. Uh, do you want to hop into the next series? Sure. So, the next series then is the Utah Jazz number one seed Utah Jazz versus the eighth seed Memphis Grizzlies. So game one was game one was. Uh, Surprise, I should say. People saw it. People didn't see the Jazz. I'm sorry. Yeah, the Jazz losing. So the Jazz lost game one by three. Uh, but the context is in that game that they're the Jazz are one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. Uh, in this game, they didn't really shoot that well. And Memphis ended up winning the game. And people overreacted, said that 
you know, maybe the Jazz can lose the series, blah, blah, blah. And then the Jazz won four straight. Um, none of those games being particularly close. I mean, uh, game four was, but the Jazz ended up going on like a run in the last couple minutes and closed that one out. Uh, what's what's your opinion on this series? What did you think? I mean, I think it, like, of course, the first game, uh, Spada didn't play, you know, Donovan Mitchell and everything like that. And then as soon as he came back, he was on fire. I, I like Donovan Mitchell as a player, you know, this is a little bit of a backstory, but I remember watching the summer league game. Um, as I said before, I'm a Celtics fan. So it was the Jazz versus the Celtics. And um, Mitchell crossed the looping crap out of Tatum, made him fall and hit a tough shot. And ever since then, I've been a fan. I, I still think that Mitchell is a great leader, but this is something that I've been saying for the longest time ever. You know, sometimes if, if the leader doesn't play well, then none of the rest of the team really does. And the Jazz are a team that has a lot of, like passing and teamwork and things like that. So when their leader, I guess, as you can say, Mitchell doesn't perform, they can still play really well. And that's one thing that really popped up in the series. Um, when they don't play well is when they're going to struggle. And I think there's a possibility that might happen in the future rounds. But in this series, I definitely think that they cemented their teamwork and, you know, their shooting wasn't as great as the regular season, but I still think that they'll be fine. I'm still not a fan of the Jazz and I still don't think that they're going to go too far this year, but I definitely think that they still have a little bit of potential and possibility. You know what I mean? Uh, this series from the Jazz, uh, it was just a, it was a tough matchup for the Grizzlies because what the Jazz are so good at is – uh, particularly because of Gobert, he's such a good rim deterrent. And that's where the the Grizzlies really make their money in terms of their scoring. I think they were the best, uh, the most, they scored the most points in the paint this year out of anybody in the league. And then you match up with the best rim protector in the league in the first round, you know, and your best player, Ja Morant. Like Ja was phenomenal in this series, man. Um, but he he's his best when he's attacking the rim. And he did his best attacking the rim when, Derek Favors was in the game. He could attack him instead of Gobert. Um, one guy who would who's really struggled in this series was Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, he, I, I like Jaron Jackson as a player. I think he's very intriguing. He has a really interesting like skill set. But there's a lot of there's a lot of holes in his game that he needs to fill. Sure, he can shoot, but he fouls like a lot. He like he fouls more than like almost anybody in the league. And he also plays with Dylan Brooks, which is kind of funny. And Dylan Brooks had a really good series. But uh, he's not really that great defensively. He has some lapses sometimes defensively. Um, and yet, and, like, he's not really that great of a rebounder, and you'd want him to be better as a rebounder unless you want to make him just like a shooter, shooting power forward. But he's, he's got a lot of stuff he should work on. But this is a series that um, I thought the Jazz would win in four or five, and that, that's what happened really. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It was definitely pretty much a straightforward series. Um, to kind of just bounce off what you said, the the Grizzlies are definitely, I think they're the second youngest team in the NBA. So I'm not concerned about them at all. Um, but, yo, Dylan Brooks is nice with it, yo. I, I got a lot of respect for him now. Uh, he's a great two-way player. Um, and as you mentioned before, like, they were scoring a lot in the paint. But even the shooting, yo, Desmond Bain is a great player. So I definitely think the Grizzlies are in a good position in the future. But, um, yeah, this series was, like you said before, a straight seri- straightforward series where, I mean, pretty much everyone expected the Jazz to win. The Grizzlies, they've just done a really good job in terms of team building. Like, they don't have a lot of guys that when you throw them out there, you're like, um, you're nervous, you know. Uh, like Xavier Tillman, for example, he, he didn't play a lot in this series, but 
the thing about him is that like he played, he hit one of the biggest shots in Memphis this season in the play-in game versus Golden State, the corner three that was later made a two or it should have been a two. But they just have like a really, really solid roster that when when they throw somebody out there, you're not really worried unless it's like Justin Winslow. But that's another debate. But yeah, you're definitely right about Dylan Brooks, man. He had a really good series. Foul, foul, he fouls a lot too, which is something that he's got to fix. But he hit his free throws, uh, three-point shot. He takes a lot of difficult shots. Uh, sometimes it's to your team's benefit, and sometimes it's your, to their detriment. At times it was beneficial, and at times it was detrimental to them. But, yeah, man, this Grizzlies team, like, they, they have a lot of stuff to look forward to, and they're a really good team. They're fun to watch. Yeah, I will say that one overlooked piece in their team is definitely Jonas Valanciunas. Oh, yeah. I mean, a huge rebounder, offensive rebounder. He, he's a body. I definitely think he's definitely overlooked. I mean, you know, we all know that John Morant isn't the best shooter, but sometimes he can shoot with confidence knowing that Valanciunas can be there to get a putback. You know what I mean? Or after a Dylan Brooks typical shot, he's he's just there to put it right back in. So quick shout-out to that guy, JV. He, he really does put in work. I just want to give a quick shout-out to my guy, Rudy Gobert. He played a really, really great Hell series. Hell no, bro. Get the no, hell yeah, out of here, did. bro. Garbage, yeah, man, garbage. Man, Rudy Gobert, uh, whenever he would go out of the game is when Memphis would start making a run. And when he would come back in, he would immediately stifle it. Uh, I know he doesn't – I know he gets a lot of unnecessary hate because – I don't know why, but he had a really good series rebounding, obviously protecting the rim. He averaged over three blocks, and the blocks don't even tell the whole story. Like, people are just scared to go at him, really. And, uh, yeah, he played a really great series, man. And I hope he doesn't continue it next round against my team, but he he was really, really good. Man, so with, with that being with that being said, do uh, you want to move on then to the Lakers and Suns series? Man, I don't want to talk about Rudy Goldberg no more. Yo, let's go. All right, so this is a series that I think was the toughest one in the in the Western Conference first round to predict. Uh, the Suns have been legit all year. Uh, they're really, really good. Devin Booker is amazing. Chris Paul is amazing. Uh, they have one of the best forward rotations in the league. Mikhail Bridges is having a great year. Jake Crowder is good defensively. Cam Johnson, Torrey Craig. And on the other side, you have the Lakers. You got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, a big thing for them coming into the series was – were they going to be healthy enough? And unfortunately for them, uh, that they just weren't. Anthony Davis was uh, dealing with injuries almost the entire series. Um, he ended up – I don't think he played game – he didn't play game five, and then he tried playing in game six on a groin injury and just wasn't able to. And uh, Devin Booker with his 47, 47 points in an elimination game, he closed them out. And, yeah, uh, I just wanted to get what's – your, what's your take on this series? One thing I will say is – I really don't want to hear too much excuses from Lakers fans. Um, I think it's kind of apparent outside of LeBron and AD, the Lakers don't really have too much of uh, talent around them. I mean, it, it's just apparent to me. And I, I really didn't think that they had a chance to get like a deep playoff run aside from, you know, if LeBron took over. But I mean, yo, it's father time. I mean, you can tell LeBron is getting old. You know, he hasn't missed as many games in his career ever. So there's that. On top of that, like he hasn't played this bad ever. So there's that. And then we all know that Anthony Davis has been having a horrible season um, for whatever the reason we don't really know. Um, I still think if he was completely healthy, I still think that the Suns would have beat them. I think that this series, one thing that's really overlooked is how good the Suns really are. Um, I mean, Chris Paul is that leader. Devin Booker is different. I, I will say he's 100% different. I mean, you, we talked about it. We were saying that he's just like, he's like Tyler Hero, but he really proved us wrong. He's a great player, a great scorer. 
and he's really putting that work. I mean, now he can face double teams, you know what I mean? And then they just have these pieces that are just great compliments. I mean, we talked about Mikhail Bridges can shoot and defend. Jay Crowder is another guy that can shoot and defend. He's a tough player. I mean, I mean, he's going toe to toe with LeBron and, you know, I mean, yeah, he's not as good as LeBron, not even close, but he, he's definitely not backing down. That's one thing that I can really respect. And then they have like tons of players. I mean, remember when Cameron Payne was basically out the league? I never knew that this guy became so reliable. I mean, I didn't watch regular season Suns game too often, but when I came to the playoffs, this guy was shooting and playmaking, driving. I'm like, yo, what, what Cameron Payne is this? I don't know this version of Cameron Payne. And it was just, I could just say that for the rest of the team because these guys really did put in a lot of work. I mean, even DeAndre Ayton was doing a lot of things defensively that was so good. He was intercepting passes. He was going the right lane. He was blocking shots. You know what I mean? So I definitely think that one thing that is overlooked is how good the Suns team really is. Yeah, man. Um, so on the on the Suns side, like you're right, Cameron Payne, his, his, uh, his journey to becoming – what he is now uh, a while back he wasn't really a great player he was out of the league for a bit but he's really turned himself into like a valuable bench piece a guard off the bench you can come in play make a little bit but mostly a scorer he can shoot deandre ayton man to me uh, I, I we all know how good devin booker is uh he's a three-level scorer he got 29 points per game in this series on good shooting obviously like i mentioned earlier 47 in the closeout game he was phenomenal scored i believe 22 in the first quarter but the guy who really impressed me the most in the first round for the Phoenix Suns was DeAndre Ayton. Like, going into this series, I was a bit skeptical. I shouldn't say skeptical, but I was worried that, like, a guy like LeBron is going to live at the rim, which he which he ended up not doing uh, for whatever reason. But LeBron is going to live at the rim. Anthony Davis, if he's healthy, would live at the rim. And he they would just get Ayton in foul trouble. And after Ayton, like, one of my biggest – one of the reasons I had the Lakers winning in seven – uh, if if they were fully healthy, which they ended up not being, was because that outside of DeAndre Ayton, the Suns really don't have a backup center. Uh, it's like Dario Saric, Frank Kaminsky, and both of them I don't really think are very reliable. So that's one reason I had the Lakers pulling it out. But DeAndre Ayton played really, really well, man. He he averaged 15 and 10, almost 16, sorry, 16 and 10. He was really good defensively, and he did everything like you want a center to do. He rolled to the rim hard. He ran the floor. He rebounded. He played good defense, and man, he really, he really proved me wrong. He had a really great series, man. So props to him. Um, for the Lakers, uh, this is something that I believe, like we talked about a while back, is that their center rotation, like their biggest, their biggest trump card is when they move Anthony Davis to the five. Like everybody knows that Anthony Davis, he's a center, but he plays power forward because he doesn't really want to, you know, pick up nicks and bruises throughout the long season. But when he goes to the five, is when they're at their best, and. When he can't do that, when he does that, they have to play. They rely a lot on two guys to play the four position. That's Kyle Kuzma, who this year, like I know he sucked in the playoffs, but in the regular season, he had become like a solid role player, playing solid defense, attacking the boards, uh, getting offensive rebounds. He became like solid as a role player. And Markeith Morris, who's not that good. So they relied on those two guys, and those two guys both sucked in the playoffs. And Anthony Davis wasn't healthy long enough. And the Lakers centers, Andre Drummond, Montrose Harrell, and um, Marcus Gasol. Marcus Gasol is the best out of those guys, and he played – he didn't play a lot. Um, Montrose Harrell was getting DMPs because he's not good. And Andre Drummond, everybody knows the – everybody knows the word on Andre Drummond. We all know that he's not good either. Um, I believe it was game five that I was watching very closely, and one of the main reasons is that the Lakers lost outside of 
outside of their role players not playing well, was that because of the role players not being able to shoot, uh, the Suns could just build a wall, uh, hypothetically, in front of LeBron and just dare guys like Schroeder, uh, Al Caruso, Wesley Matthews. They could just dare them to shoot. And when they did and they missed, uh, they, that, they were able to just run him out of the run him out of the building. That's why they blew out the Lakers in games five and six, because they could just build a wall in front of LeBron. And LeBron is great at driving to the rim, and he's great at shooting threes, or he's good at shooting threes. He doesn't really have the in between game like a guy like uh, Kawhi Leonard or a guy like Kevin Durant does. You know what I mean? So uh, they were able to just limit LeBron a lot, and maybe it's the ankle. Who knows? But he didn't really have that great of a series to his standards, at least. And yeah, this just gets chalked up to a lost year for the Lakers, man. A lot of injuries, a lot of inconsistencies and a lack of continuity just led them to, you know, be in a first round out. And plus the Suns are really good, man. The Suns are amazing. Yeah, Sorry, no, I definitely, no, no, you're good. I definitely agree with you. You know, the whole building the wall thing, this is something that we saw Jay Crowder do with the heat against Giannis. So like, it's, I feel like it's like a very similar to that, what they were doing that he were doing last year. And, you know, it's just great to see that the Suns, you know, a team that hasn't been in the playoffs, well, it feels like forever doing this, you know what I mean? Uh, to like, you know, the defending champions and all. But yeah, I definitely think that even though this series kind of like some of the games were like huge blowouts, like um, I think it was like game five or something like that, like 30 points. And then even the last game felt like a blowout as well. It was definitely like an interesting series to kind of see these young guys putting up work against LeBron, you know what I mean? And, you know, I, I definitely thought it was a good series. And I, honestly, man, I'm going to be honest. If you're a Lakers fan, man, I, I I don't know what to say. Like, I could kind of see this coming, you know, like, outside of LeBron, who do you guys really have? Like, who's that third best player? Kyle Kuzma? It was, it was supposed to be Shooter. Shooter was terrible, like, the last three games. He did nothing the last three games. Exactly, yeah. And didn't he ask for, like, an extension early this year? Like, a huge extension? Yeah, no, he he turned down, like, a four years, $80 million extension, which, I mean, right now it looks bad, but, you know, who knows? I, I doubt he gets paid that, but you, yeah. know, you, don't know, you never know. Yeah, and exactly, exactly. Just, I just want to give, like, one quick shout. Man, the Phoenix Suns Arena, they, they get loud, man. Like, those guys and Madison Square Garden, to me, were the two most impressive, like, home court advantages. Like, game one, like – you could you could see just how how like electric that building was uh phoenix it was man they they really showed out man and phoenix is a really good team and who knows what happens in the next round but i think they have they, they can make the finals realistically like i don't think it's i don't think it's unrealistic to say that they can make the finals yeah yeah i know i definitely agree yo okay i haven't we we ha- all right so for you guys watching us we have like our own private racket yo kyle who did you have winning against the Nuggets or the Suns, or did you have the Lakers winning? Uh, so I had the I had the Nuggets beating the Blazers, and I had the Lakers beating the Suns in seven, barring like any injury. So I ended up yeah, I ended up being wrong on that one. Okay, I should I probably should have picked the Suns, man. Honestly, I've been I've been a huge fan of them all year, but yeah, I'd pro- I probably missed on that one. All right, so I picked the Suns, and I also picked them to beat the Nuggets. Who do you have between these two? Oh, the Suns. Um, All right, word. I think I think the Suns are. They just have not only more talent, but they got a. But DeAndre Ayton played well versus Jokic in the regular season. Like he held him to below his averages in terms of like efficiency and shooting percentages. And if he can stay on the court long enough versus Jokic, mm-hmm. uh, because Jokic, he's not he's not really as jump shot dependent as Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis falls in love with his jump shot too much, in my opinion. Uh, 
like Jokic will force the issue, and if if Aiden can stay on the floor with him, I I don't think the rest of the guys on the uh, Nuggets match up to the rest of the guys on the on the Suns. Like the Suns, in my opinion, just have better players at this very moment, like because of the injuries that the Nuggets have. So I picked the Suns in five or six. That's fair. I just want to know your opinion. All right, do you want to go into the last series? Sure. Um, one more, right? Yep. So the series ended yesterday, like I said. Uh, the Clippers ended up winning Game Seven in. Los Angeles versus the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, this series took years off my life, man. It was a very stressful two weeks for me, uh, particularly after May 25th when the Clippers went down 0-2. They went into an 0-2 uh, deficit. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you give your opinion on this series before I get mine. What, what did you think of this series? Honestly, I thought the Clippers were going to win in maybe Game Five or Six, man. Man, I underestimated Luca. This guy is a beast. He was clearly the best series or the best player in the entire series. This guy, Luca, has so much talent. I mean, if you look at him, you can tell he's not really that athletic in terms of like like most of the athletes in the NBA uh, compared to them. But this guy was putting in so much work. Like he was able to do the right play after right play after right play. I mean, it was just really impressive. And on top of that, he was hitting difficult shots after difficult shots with the best players guarding him, with the Clippers sending in double teams and a bunch of different looks at him, uh, defensive looks. And it was just really impressive. So one thing I will say is Luka's a freaking beast, man. Um, on top of that, you know, I, I did think the Clippers played pretty decent, but, I mean, I, I, it feels like something's missing from their team. What do you think? So um, I'll get to one of the points you made in a bit. So the reasons uh, – and I watched, this, I watched this series the entire way. Obviously, I'm a Clippers fan. I read articles about – what was going on and the reasonings that things were happening the way they were uh, in games one and two uh, 538 put out an article about uh, the Dallas Mavericks series and the Clippers series so far. And in games one and two, I believe Dallas in those two games had exceeded their like three point uh, expectancy or their three point percentage expectancy in those two games, like in that two game sample size was more than like anybody in NBA history. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., it felt like he could not miss in the first two games. I believe he was averaging 25 through two games. He he came down to earth in a big way in the series in the last couple of games. Outside of game game six, I believe, where he scored like 20, 26 or something. But in the first two games, really, Dallas's role players were playing out of their minds. And the Clippers' role players, until really game seven, like none of them besides Rondo for two games showed up for the most part. Uh, Patrick Beverly, after I believe game game two, ended up getting benched, and he has barely played in this entire series just because he's not good enough. He doesn't not good enough. I shouldn't say that, but he doesn't have the size defensively, and he continuously like helps too much defensively on Luca. And the thing about Luka Doncic is he's phenomenal. And with the best players, what you do is you take away one thing from them. Luka is amazing scorer, and he's an amazing playmaker. So what the Clippers should have done the entire series is make him beat them, make him score like 50-plus each game to to win. Because if you take him and you let him do whatever he wants and freeze out everybody else, you should still end up winning, theoretically, right? But what the Clippers' problem was is that a lot of the times they would allow him to not only score, but allow him to facilitate and get his teammates involved as well. And that's what was happening in games one and two, is that he was getting his points and he was getting his teammates involved. And the Jalen Brunsons, the Maxi Klebers, the Tim Hardaway Juniors of the world were playing amazing in those first two games. Um, 
the next two games in Dallas, the Clippers made a really they made it a point of emphasis to attack the rim. Um, everybody knows that the Clippers went down 30 to 11 in Game Three. Uh, I thought the series was over right there. I was, I was really down. But the Clippers they made an adjustment in the second half of Game Three is where they ran out a lineup of, uh, I believe it was Rondo, Kawhi, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and Nick Batum, and that was their starting starting lineup going forward. Reggie Jackson, I'm sorry, Reggie Jackson was starting, but that lineup it allows them to switch everything better and doesn't allow Luca to like attack like a complete mismatch every single time so and that's what they did in game four they, they blew out Dallas in game four and game five Dallas uh, the Clippers played really bad turned the ball over particularly in the third quarter was not great uh, and Luca again he scored 42 and I think he had 14 assists uh, he played again they just let him do whatever he wanted uh, game six Kawhi Leonard masterclass 45 points he he did everything man he he carried the Clippers in that game in a game where they got four bench points and Kawhi, Paul George, and Reggie Jackson are the only guys who scored, I believe, in like double figures in that game for the Clippers. And game seven yesterday, man, again, Kawhi Leonard did his thing. But in this game, in game seven, is finally where the role players for the Clippers showed up. Marcus Morris had a huge game. Terrence Mann was really, really good. Luke Kennard was amazing. Kawhi, Paul George, they did their thing. And on Dallas' side, they didn't really have any role players show up. It was really just Luca and Dorian Finney-Smith. Outside of that, Hardaway Jr. wasn't good. Porzingis wasn't good the entire series. Like, Porzingis had a really, really bad series, man. Not just offensively, but the Clippers straight up were just attacking him defensively. And it's just a hard-fought series. And the Clippers were able to pull it out, thankfully, because this was a tough series for me. Thanks, yo. Porzingis is a new playoff P. Have you seen that meme? Yeah, man, Porzingis, Porzingis is something else, man. I didn't think he was that good to start, like, in just, like, totality. I don't think he's that good of a player, but, you know. Uh, yeah, there's so many memes on him. Somebody said he was, like, the Kyle Kuzma, like a seven foot three Kyle Kuzma. He's a seven foot three shooting guard who doesn't – yeah, he's a seven foot three shooting guard. Like, he – he there was a matchup, I believe it was in game four, where he had Reggie Jackson on him in, like, the high post. And he didn't attack, like, he didn't try to get to the rim. He shot, like, a fadeaway over Reggie Jackson. Like, Reggie Jackson's one of the worst defenders in the league. Like, are you? Oh, it's, like, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. See, so I want to I want to get back to you on this point. You thought Luka was the best player in this series? Yeah. Well, why do you think that? I mean, he was just so dominant. I mean, if you take out Luka from his team, how do you think the, that the Mavs were going to do? And then if you take out Kawhi from the Clippers, how do you think that that would do? I know Kawhi had a great series. I mean, a lot of the games he really put his team on the back. But, I mean, I feel like Luka did that throughout the entire series. You know what I mean? See, the thing is that um, the reason I would I would lean Kawhi, and not just being biased, but Kawhi, he, like, Luka doesn't play much defense. Like, that's well known. Um, sure, Luka obviously put up monster numbers in this series. Uh, but he is not because... Like, he has to. Like, the Mavs, like, one of their problems is that they don't really have a secondary ball handler outside of Jalen Brunson. Um, but the heliocentric style that we've seen that Luka plays right now is similar to what James Harden did, similar to what LeBron James did, where you ha- don't really have a second guy next to you, and it allows you to put up monster numbers. And if you look at, like, Luka's sh- shooting splits by quarter, Luka got, like, a lot worse as the game went on. Like, his fourth quarter shooting numbers, I believe he shot, like, 36% from the field in the fourth quarter of these games because he wasn't 
like he he was just like worn out because he was doing so much so and plus add on to the fact that the clippers were like seeking him out defensively to attack him particularly in game six where Kawhi was just shooting like step back threes over him and dorian finney smith uh that's what that's why i lean Kawhi. um Kawhi didn't put up obviously as many points but he was a lot more like Kawhi shot 60% from the field in this playoff series. Like that's, that's tough to do as anything less than like a center. He shot 42% from three and 90% of the free throw line for the most, like basically. And plus he was playing great defense and average two and a half steals for the most part. So that's, that's why I lean Kawhi, but I can understand anybody saying Luca, but in my opinion, I think Kawhi was the best player in the series. No. Okay. When you put it that way, I can kind of see where you're coming from. Um, I just feel like the difference between Luca and like a James Harden per se is like Luca, you could tell like Luca was doing it because he had to, in my opinion, at least. I mean, like, I don't want to see like Porzingis going like two of 37 or something like that. So <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just feel like Luca really had to do all that. And I really want to see, um, like, I really want to see like another great player by his side. I mean, like, I mean, I feel like I, we can all see that Luca's making his teammates better. And that's another thing that I can't really say about James Harden. I mean, like, when did he make, like, PG Tucker, like, the best player in the world? You know what I mean? Like, this guy's making Team Hardaway Jr. look really good. He's making Maxi Kleba and all these other guys look like decent players. I mean, I have respect for all these players and all, but, like, I just don't feel like they would be as good on a different team. Like, for example, we take Dorian Finney-Smith and put on the Celtics. I don't think he's going to be that good. He's going to be, like, a semi ojale But on the Mavs, this guy is a great defender, a great spot-up shooter, and all that. You know what I mean? So I would I would say that see as great as Luca is like the heliocentric, um, the heliocentric style of play. Uh, it and who knows, man? Luca's still twenty. He's what twenty-two years old. He's still very young. But as we've seen, like you need multiple guys to be able to handle the ball and uh, getting Luca like some scoring done with him, like not having to initiate and create everything. It helps him you know, may reserve energy. And like I said, he was, his uh, shooting percentages got worse by each quarter. He was really, really good in the first half of games, but uh, as games continued on, he got worse because uh, he just got worn out because he had to do so much. So I think they're going to make some changes in the off season. Um, I think that they will definitely try to look to like test the market at the very least for Porzingis uh, because as it looks right now with, you know, who knows, maybe he can look better, but, um, you know, they got to try to get a secondary ball handler next to him. Um, a team, a, a trade that I was thinking of was for them would be like possibly CJ McCollum. Like I know that he's not like an all-star level player, but he's still a guy who can handle the ball, do some scoring, like put some, has like some shot creation ability by himself. So maybe he's a, a buy low guy you can look at if Portland is looking to make some moves as well. Um, Obviously, the the big the big ones for them are like um, Bradley Beal. If you can try to get him, you know, throw all your picks that you have left and Porzingis at the Wizards and try to get Beal. But who knows? But I th- I think there's some changes coming in Dallas as well. Yeah, definitely. I don't think that they're a bad team. I just feel like they can get a lot better. You know what I mean? Oh but, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah. With that being said, you want to just call it for this this uh, week's episode? Yeah, for sure. Why don't you Why don't you take us out? Oh, man, I had done this in a minute, bro. Hold up. All right, yo, I appreciate all you guys for listening. Uh, this is the Push the Temple podcast. It's me, your boy, Ari, and I'm with my guy, Kyle. You guys can check us out on YouTube. We're on pretty much every podcast platform with, you know, Push the Temple as our name. 
uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. So, yeah, with that, appreciate you guys, and we'll catch you guys in another podcast.